then the next fundamental question is, if I change the way I think and feel, should it change my environment? Now that's going from a victim in your life to being a creator of your life. This is The Playbook. I am ecstatic today because I have someone that I've wanted to have on here for a while. Uh, I have learned probably more from this gentleman than most people I've encountered. We are aligned frequency-wise, vibrationally-wise, uh, and we also have a lot of the same habits. It's Dr. Joe Dispenza, New York Times bestselling author, researcher, lecturer, corporate consultant, and uh, I believe a true humanitarian. He's changing the way we look at things, so the things we look at change. Welcome to The Playbook, Dr. Joe. Hey, I'm happy to be with you, David. Looking forward to it. So we were talking about how gracious you were with the 17 to 20 minutes on here. We're not going to make a huge difference in eternity, but you, like I, are more interested than interesting. You have an open mind, an open heart, and open hands, and you do a lot of scientific research. Um, and so I would love, you know, through these last year or so or through the pandemic to learn or for you to share some of the research uh, that you've done and what the findings were. Sure. Well, thank you for asking. I, I just got back from a great uh, a meeting at uh, University of California, San Diego. One of the things that started happening, David, in our events uh, in the last five years is we started seeing dramatic changes in people's biology, dramatic changes in their well-being and dramatic changes in their health. And, and if you asked Joe Dispenza just five years ago, if I thought I would be seeing uh, what I'm witnessing today, I'd probably say maybe once or twice, and I would be happy with that. But when you start seeing in a week-long event, blind people seeing and deaf people hearing and people with stage four cancers going into remission and Parkinson's disease completely turned around and, and uh, all kinds of rare genetic disorders that science really had no solution for to really change. And we're talking about things like even stroke patients that have limbs have been paralyzed all of a sudden moving them. You know, the question is, and you see someone stand on the stage and, and give their testimony in front of 1,500 people, um, you're, sta you're staring at truth. You're looking at, you're looking at an example of truth. And I think this is a time in history where it's not enough to know. I think this is a time in history to know how. And so if you're seeing those type of changes, you just can't slide them off and say, oh, that's just a miracle. Uh, that, that isn't uh, enough information for us to be able to quantify the process. So many years we've been doing extensive research on our student body and, and we've been doing a quite, a, quite a bit of quantitative analysis on the brain. You know, we do measurements of, uh, of people's brains before they come to an event and we measure their brain after seven days of intense uh, training. Uh, we also look at brains in real time. We like to see uh, in the process of change and transformation, if people really know a formula to be able to self-regulate their thoughts and their feelings. And so we've done thousands and thousands, over 18,000 brain scans. We've had thousands and thousands and thousands of measurements of the heart. We've measured gene expression. We've measured uh, telomere length. We've measured the immune response. And now we're partnering with the University of California, San Diego in their microbiology department. And they're looking at about 2,800 different cellular markers that determine whether a cell is actually getting better or getting worse. And so we have a lot of sophisticated analysis and I can tell you it's all good news. I mean, uh, that we're, we are greater than we think, more powerful than we know, more unlimited than we could ever dream. And, and God, that rabbit hole tends to be so deep. And in this process of discovery in the last two years since COVID, um, I never thought we would kind of uncover what we're uncovering. And when scientists 
are looking at the plasma or looking at blood plasma of meditators after a week of meditation. What are the factors in there that cause this person to have a dramatic change in their personal health? So we started seeing when we were taking these measurements, when we were looking at the plasma of really uh, uh, advanced meditators, novice meditators and control groups, what we noticed that when people reach this certain elegant state of brainwave wave patterns, this kind of arousal of, that's produced where uh, the arousal is in fear, the arousal is in pain, the arousal is in uh, aggression, the arousal is ecstasy. There's this moment where a person connects to energy and information, and we've kind of demystified that process. And, and so when that occurs, uh, the amount of energy that's produced in the brain and the heart is way outside of normal. 200, 300, 400, uh, sometimes 500 times outside of what normal brainwave patterns do. And if you're a scientist and you see this, it, it really is unbelievable. So when we saw this, uh, people's changes in their objective expression and we drew their blood, we noticed that those people had significant changes in the way their cells worked. So COVID happened and we thought, gosh, um, nobody's going anywhere or doing anything. We had some fresh data we had a couple um, individuals that had really some very, very transcendental moments. So we started looking at, we built a pseudovirus that's the exact same virus as, as the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And we subjected uh, this, this virus to uh, first this one individual's blood who had a very transcendental moment and had a profound subjective experience go with it. And we had all the data, his heart rate uh, variability was super coherent, but the amplitudes were three times high as normal. So when your heart opens, uh, that's not a little love, that's a tremendous amount of love. And, and his brain waves were dramatically altered during the experience and everything started lining up. So we took his blood and we took the pseudovirus and, and um, uh, put it in his plasma. And there was an absolute resistance uh, to the SARS uh, virus, the pseudovirus. We saw that in novice meditators, people who had just started practicing meditating, we saw some people have the, the virus enter the cell and other people didn't. Some, some had a little bit of viral um, infections. Some people had none. Some people had a lot. It was just variant, right? And the controls, of course, were all infected. So then we took it a step further. We, we actually used the, the SARS virus and we subjected uh, advanced meditators' blood uh, to the, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus and we saw same exact thing. We saw resistance uh, in the blood. So then we started looking to see what were the factors in the advanced meditator's blood. What were the, is there a specific protein? Is there an immunoglobulin? Is there something in there uh, that could potentially be the reason? And we've isolated the protein. And when we take that protein and we take it out of the advanced meditator's uh, uh, serum blood, and we put that protein in the controls that are infected, all the controls that were once infected are no longer infected. So we're, we're coming across this incredible biology uh, that we have, this resource of immunity that causes us to really be greater than our environment. And so we've checked the, the Delta variant, we've checked the Lambda variant, we've checked the Beta variant, and seems to be the same type of response. When we take the serum of advanced meditators and we put it in a cancer cell, a uterine cancer cell, in the presence of the uterine cancer cell, the mitochondria of the cancer cell is the, is the powerhouse and cancer cells really have a high amount of energy. That's what makes them kind of in, almost invincible. 
When we take the plasma from the advanced meditators and we subject it uh, uh, to a, a uterine cancer cell, a 75% of 70, 70 to 75% of the energy in the mitochondria just diminishes. So what lights go out in the cancer cell is, is unbelievable. If we take um, uh, a neuron that has a, a gene expression for Alzheimer's and we use uh, the, the plasma from advanced meditators, we see a, a downregulation of that gene. Uh, so these are incredible, incredible stories that we're telling that when people actually connect to energy and information, uh, there's a profound effect. So now we can actually induce that state. We can actually predict when the person's going to have that transcendental moment and we can actually repeat it now. So it's just been an amazing journey for us in the last year. And, and through that journey, the one thing in the pragmatic sense that's so interesting is, you know, there's a lot of people who talk about theory or acquired knowledge, uh, but to be able, as you said, to in the physicality to create and utilize that knowledge and experience uh, is a whole nother practice. And I know online you have the formula, you do your live events as well. Even once a month, you allow people to ask you questions on Dr. Joe Live, but you allow people to experience with what you do, no matter what level you talked about, beginning uh, meditators, advanced meditators, there's a practice and experience that can be had by everyone. Uh, what are some of, in the formula, for example, the things that you teach to help take this incredible knowledge and put it into practice? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, uh, I think the most important part is to experiment, to be curious, to, to really see. Uh, you know, most people, they respond to their outer environment and their outer environment is really controlling the way they think and feel. And I say, David, why are you upset today? It's because of that person or circumstance. What they're really saying is that some person or circumstance is actually controlling the way I feel and the way I think. Well, most of the time, our response to the environment because of the stress hormones actually weakens the organism. Yeah, that goes a step further though. When you think about your problems, you produce the same stress response as if it was happening. Your body's so objective, it's believed it's, it's living in that environmental state and it's that constant um, attack and that response uh, from the environment that begins to downregulate genes and weaken the immune system. So the fundamental question is, if you can turn on the stress response by thought alone and the long-term effects of those chemicals uh, push the genetic buttons that create disease, then that means our thoughts can make us sick. So then if our thoughts can make us sick, is it possible that our thoughts can make us well? So when a person is less responsive, less of a victim to their environment, to their environment's no longer controlling the way they think and feel, then the next fundamental question is, if I change the way I think and feel, should it change my environment? Now that's going from a victim in your life to being a creator of your life. And that's the experiment. And everybody should believe that they are the creator of their life. And so, we teach people uh, some basic tools. Uh, the formula really is about 10 years of research that we were able to say, you could actually change your brain waves and create more order in your brain. Uh, the, the dissonance and incoherence that's created when we're under stress really causes the brain to compartmentalize and fire out of order. And so we've demystified the process after looking of at thousands of scans to be able to say, you could actually make your brain work better and you can do that in a very short amount of time. So in order to create a new future, to change something in your life, nothing changes in your life until you change. That's the, that's the story, right? So then the question is, okay, is in order for me to create something new, I'm gonna to have to combine a clear intention. That's a function of the brain and the mind. That's a, a process that you can get better at. And you gotta combine that with an elevated emotion. 
And that means then you can't wait for your healing to feel grateful. You can't wait for your new relationship to feel love. You can't wait for your uh, um, wealth to feel abundance. You know, that's, that's the old model of reality of cause and effect. In fact, we're going to teach people actually how to feel the emotion before it happens. And when you combine that clear intention with an elevated emotion, that's going to require your heart to move into balance and move into order. And it turns out that's a skill too that you can practice. So then when you combine those two elements, so that clear intention with the elevated emotion, and you can sustain that for a period of time, the coherence in the brain, the coherence in the heart actually act like a Wi-Fi signal. You're starting to put out a broadband spectrum of frequency and energy that causes you to feel connected to something. And now you're no longer trying to get something done or waiting for something in your outer world to change, to take away the emptiness or lack you're feeling because you don't have the experience yet. If people can actually feel the feelings of the emotions before the experience happens, they wouldn't be looking for it because they would feel like it already happened, right? So we teach people how to sustain these states. And if they can, the side effect of that is that you start seeing synchronicities in your life, those serendipities, those coincidences, those opportunities that you're no longer going anywhere to get them. And you're not trying to control the outcome or force the outcome or fight for the outcome or predict the outcome or, or compete for it. That's, that's when we're matter trying to change matter. When you synchronize your energy to a possibility in your life and you start seeing those synchronicities in your life, now, when you start seeing those opportunities occurring, you're just going to start paying attention to what you've been doing and do more of it. And you go then from being the victim of your life to being the creator of your life. And the cool part about it is you don't have to go anywhere to get it. Somehow, out of nowhere, it seems to come to you. And those moments are, are moments of awakening. So the formula really is about combining quantum physics with neuroscience, with neuroendocrinology, with psychoneuroimmunology, with electromagnetism, epigenetics, all of these different branches of science to build a model to show people that you actually can be the creator of your life. Now, we teach it in a very simple way. We don't want to intimidate anybody, but we want it to be simple enough for the person to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. So the what and the why then leads to an easy practical how. So it's a 12 uh, uh, session course. There's five meditations that go up with it. We build from step to step so that people could actually uh, evolve their experience a, a little bit more. And somehow it, it seems to be that people like it. Well, you easily are one of the easiest and best interviews. So I got one last question. Obviously, dis-ease, disease, is uh, the interference that's created between us and our natural state, uh, as you so suggest here. Uh, the ego is something that I study a lot of in the context of business, of how we create that interference, how we put ourselves at disease with the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, all according to what you teach as well and what I believe will truly manifest or directly affect your, your own ease, your, your own health. Uh, how do you teach ego uh, and what do you utilize the ego for or not for in order to effectuate the ease that we want in our life, not the disease? Sure. I, I'm, gosh, it's not the question of um, how long, how, how you react. The question is how long you're going to react. So I think the ego is something that is healthy when it's in balance. Like if I have a bonfire in my backyard and those and the flames are getting a little bit too big and there's ashes and sparks flying off the bonfire, your ego says, David, step back. 
you know, it's, it's preservational, it wants to take care of the body. If we're hiking on a cliff and we come to a very narrow path and it's a thousand foot drop, your ego is going to say, stay close to the wall. Don't go out to the edge. You could be injured and be hurt. So the ego has a function to really, in, in a sense, be analytical and, and weigh what we know against what we don't know. And it's healthy. The problem is, is when it's driven by the hormones of stress and stress is when your body is knocked out of balance. It's knocked out, knocked out of order. That state actually causes you to be altered. And there'll always be a gap between the way things appear or the way you appear and the way things really are. You're in an altered state. Now for the short term, that's great. All organisms can tolerate that. But if you keep doing that for an extended period of time, the arousal that's created from the stress hormones actually causes the analytical mind all of a sudden to go into overdrive. So now the endorsement of the ego becomes enhanced and we become selfish. That's what it does. It causes, it causes us to be self-indulgent, to be self-centered, to be self-important, to be self-aggrandizing, to be full of self-pity because in stress, there's only one thing that's important when you're in survival. And that's you. <laughs> and so all of our attention goes on our body. All of our attention goes on all the elements in our environment. And we come, become very preoccupied with time. Now, when we're in balance and there's order in the autonomic nervous system, there's health. And if stress is when you move out of balance, autonomic dysregulation, then you are altered from wholeness. You are, you are separate from uh, everyone and everything in your life and you tend to trust less. It's not a time to open your heart in the jungle. The survival gene is switched on. You, you don't communicate very well. You're looking at how you can get to where you need to be or accomplish what you need to do first. And you got to be there first and compete because this is all driven by those stress hormones. So the ego becomes out of balance. Now, here's the cool part about all of this. When people are driven by those stress hormones and they don't know how to change it, they don't know how to self-regulate. Again, it's not that you react. The question is, how long are you going to react? If they don't know how to do that, the problem with most people is they start analyzing their life within the emotion that's disturbing them. Now, emotions are a record of the past. So what we see on brain scans over and over again when you start overanalyzing and overthinking in a selfish way, 100% of the time, you'll make your brain worse. And that will have dramatic effects on your body. So when the heart is racing because it's pumping blood, but you're sitting in a Zoom call and you're smiling and you're looking at that person in a Zoom call and you're thinking about ways to murder them, you're, you're producing those chemicals, but you're not running and you're not fighting and you're not hiding. So what happens is the heart is pumping against a very closed system and it moves out of order, it moves out of balance. And now the autonomic nervous system, which controls and coordinates all other systems in your body is out of balance and that dysregulation causes disease. So then the fundamental question is, okay, can I trade fear? Can I trade anger? Can I trade competition? Can I trade frustration, resentment, impatience, hostility, uh, hopelessness, powerlessness, whatever, anxiety for an elevated emotion. Can I learn how to dial down those stress hormones and practice feeling elevated emotions? Turns out you can do that. Now, the real question is when you're in your heart, you're not so selfish. In fact, when there's a change in blood flow to the heart 
and oxytocin and nitric oxide is released, you tend to want to give. You, you tend to want to consider the whole. And you lead with your heart. You're not separate from anybody. You're, you're functioning as a community. So I think then that um, our future as, as human beings is that we have to be able to live in, a, in an elevated state in our hearts. And if we fall from grace back into those survival emotions, the key is to be able to self-regulate and get so good at it in your meditation with your eyes closed, so good at it that you can do it with your eyes open. Now that's when the game becomes really, really important. So uh, when people do the work and they do their meditations and they come up against themselves, gosh, I want them to. I want them to come up against their fear in, in, the, in the week-long workshops. I want them to come up against their impatience. I want all those thoughts that come up that say, I can't, it's too hard, I'll never change, it's my ex's fault, it's my boss's fault. I want those thoughts to be right in their face. And I want to give them tools to let them know that right on the other side of that, that thought, right on the other side of that propensity to want to get up and quit, right on the other side of that emotion that's keeping them connected to the past, if they're willing to sit in the fire, to sit with themselves, and instead of getting up and quitting on themselves, learn how to self-regulate and create brain and heart coherence. I guarantee you, every time they go a little further uh, and they produce those victories, uh, those victories add up. So what's the side effect of that? You return back to your life and you don't need jerk as much. Why? Because you just overcame some part of your aggression and anger by sitting with your body and like training an animal, training a dog, I don't know, training uh, the servant to be present, to, 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 to be greater than the body as the mind, to execute a will that's greater than those unconscious programs. And what we found out is when people actually apply some type of formula to be able to do this, every time they bring the body back into the present moment, it starts liberating energy. So there goes the frustration. There goes the impatience. And all of a sudden, the unknown, which tends to be such a scary place for most people is the present moment you see the side effect of that is the person's more present they're less preoccupied with all the things that people spend most of their attention on now so you overcome the ego you overcome the personality uh uh there's nothing wrong with it it's just you got to be able to lay it down and as you temper your body and your mind um the ego tends to be less selfish and more selfless and then the side effect of that is that then if I say, hey, look at David, he's actually doing it. I'm going to try it, too, because he's he's doing it. And research in neuroscience says you hang out with people that do things. You start your brain synchronizes and you start doing those same things. It's called an emergence emergence. That's the birds all moving in the same direction. It's a, a school of fish moving as one mind and one heart. If you study that, you think there's one leader like that. Everybody's following a leader like a top-down phenomenon, it's actually wrong. It's a bottom-up phenomenon, everybody's leading. So the way we change the world then is that you work on yourself, I'll work on myself. We get to show up and bring our best and when we're not at our best, we excuse ourselves, get back to that state and we present ourselves back to the world. And I think this is such a great time in history where people really need some tools to be able to cope with, uh, with all the challenges in the world. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Joe Dispenza, for giving us those tools with your research, with the formula. Your Dr. Joe Lives are extraordinary, and of course, all the live events. If you have not checked out Dr. Joe, you go back, listen to this again and again, and realize how much you can do with your own life. A great leader is an intelligent follower, and you are absolutely a great leader. 
and a dear you know, friend that's doing so much good in the world. I so much appreciate your perspective and sharing your time with us. Thank you so much.